Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. It is eight o'clock on Monday morning, and I'm glad to say that I am joined by a slightly tousled uh, Jack Howard. Jack, how are you doing? Good morning, Mark. I'm fine, <laughs> thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Jack and I both had very little sleep because uh, we've just done the let's stay up all night and watch the Oscars live so that we can turn around this Kermode on Film blog super fast. Um, I don't know how many other people stayed up for it. I have to confess, I haven't stayed up for the Oscars for a very long time. I used to have to do it when I was the film correspondent for Radio 1. Mm. And when I, when I initially started doing that, I think it was back in the, in the 90s, in order to watch the Oscars live, I had to go to my friend Alan Jones's flat um, in you know somewhere else in London because he was the person who had, I think it must have been Sky at that point. Nobody else we knew had. He just had some dodgy link. He was plugging uh, wires into other wires. No, he, he, had a, he, had a, he had a proper thing because he used to get, he used to get like the, you know, like the, the entertainment news and he used to get, you know, he, he'd always know everything for everybody else because he had cable televisions, I think it was back then. And we'd all pile into Alan's flat and then the evenings would go on forever. The Oscars ceremony would go on for like hour after hour after hour and everyone would be falling asleep and you'd all be sort of propping your eyes open. And that actually, sounds familiar. Yeah, but I haven't done the staying up all night uh, to watch it for a because I'm nearly 60 now, so it's kind of, you know, it, it's a bit of a stretch for me. But the first thing I will say is, I think the whole thing from beginning to end was about three, three and a half hours, wasn't it? It started at one o'clock and it finished round about 4.30. Yeah, yeah, it finished in the, I, it was in the 4am category. I can't remember exactly... It could it could have been a lot worse. So the first thing I'm going to It could have been and it has been. And, and, <laughs> uh, and I have stayed up to watch the Oscars since um, the Hurt Locker uh, one. That was the first time I did it. So and do you I've always do it then? Now? Always. And, and me and my friends always have like a party my friend sammy paul always does an oscars quiz every year that he loves to host it's his favorite thing and now it's become almost tradition that we do it it's like it's his birthday and yes 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 <laughs> it's a lovely thing that we do every single year and that's i think why i found this year around this time and the awards tougher because of the situation capital t capital s <laughs> it's been hard to get enthusiastic about all this sort of stuff because, you know, as we know, a lot of the films aren't available. We haven't been able to go to the cinema. All these things are incredibly difficult. And on top of that, I'm just reminded by how out of touch I am with it and how little I've been able to engage with it because of it. it's all accumulated in the Oscars and I can't get together with my friends. We you always 
get together at somebody's house and and squeeze into somebody's flat and there's yeah, people yeah. sat on you know the floor making little pillows and people bringing uh, their pajamas over and snacks and all the rest of it and it's just like a big celebration of it every every single year and we weren't able to do that and so i wasn't planning on staying up i was like no i resent this i will not be i, I will not be staying and i couldn't help it and it was mostly i'll tell you this it was mostly steven soderberg that was the draw for me he directed the ceremony this year everybody which i didn't know if everybody knows and i mean i i don't know if you wanted to say anything beforehand but i thought the opener especially was like hell yeah go on yeah. steven soderberg yeah. that's amazing well, it's funny because um, during the course of the evening, you and I texted each other just a few times. We kept it to a bare It's almost like we're in the same room. It's almost like we're in the same room. But um, so the venue, of course, was Union Station. Well, there were venues around the world, but the venue, main venue was Union Station, which, of course, features in a number of films, including Blade Runner. And there was a moment in the, in the evening when Harrison Ford came on to present an award. And one For of the editing. things that he did was he read... It was an editing award. And he, he read out... I mean, anyone who's a Blade Runner fan will know this, that when they were trying to finish Blade Runner, there were all these issues with, you know, the producers didn't like it and the test audiences didn't like it. And he stood there and he was he was reading out this thing about, you know, this movie just gets worse and worse. I think they were actual studio notes. They were. No, they were. Yeah. I mean, they, they, those were kind of well recorded. Because the interesting thing for me was that the very opening shot of the Oscars ceremony with uh, Regina King coming in and the, the and the thing tracking her through, yes, it absolutely felt like Steven Soderbergh. It felt like the beginning of an Oceans movie. It really did. <laughs> but also, that tracking shot is the tracking shot that we did in On the Edge of Blade Runner. Because, oh, very because in good. Blade Runner, it's 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 the police station, and so we Soderbergh's this... ripping you off. Exactly. I felt like going, Stephen. Thank you very much. The royalty check will be will be. Lovely. But as okay. soon as it started, weren't you just like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> films <laughs> like, like it, this is what the Oscars should be like and that's genuinely what I felt was a really good thing about the awards this year and I text you something to this effect that overall usually the Oscars I kind of enjoy but the show's always a bit tacky it's rubbish it's got bad jokes and it's weirdly yeah. structured and things go wrong and most of all a lot of the introductions to certain categories and like you know when like they're like the nominees this year for best blah 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 have this and that and they do this and they do this and it's all very like kind of borderline phony like it's just kind of big- bigging itself I don't think it's up borderline phony jack i think it's oh, well. way way into the territory i'm of trying phony. to be nice <laughs> it's you know somebody will come on and say visual effects are the miracle that create the majesty of the visual if and you go shut up just tell yeah. me who won it you know and this year it felt like I mean, I don't want to fully credit Steven Soderbergh for it because I don't know who it is, but it feels like him. It feels like a celebration. It felt like it was very intentionally and directly celebrating the people that make films and how difficult and how dedicated you have to be to do that. And I thought that was really exciting because I saw a lot of people being like, where's the clips? Why aren't you showing any clips? And I was like, well, surely they're, you can clearly see that they're making a choice to to really put a spotlight on the human beings that choose to spend their time this way. And like, they talked a lot about inspiration and things. I thought it was really, really cool. When you say people were saying, did you, were you on social media? Twitter. I wasn't. On so- yeah. okay, I wasn't. <laughs> I just stayed off the whole, I literally just sat there and watched it with my laptop. I just, just saw quite notes. a few people being like, mm, where, where are all the clips this year? 
Yeah. Oh, so right. hang on, Jack. Are you suggesting that social media <laughs> might might not be an accurate reflection of the of the temperature of the way? I, I mean, I'm, I'm just getting something. I'm just getting a sense of that here. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, I'm saying something like that. I can't quite put my finger on what it is because it's too early in the morning. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I genuinely thought that there, I agree with you. In most of the introductions, you did find out something about each one of the... Uh, of the nominees you know there was they they seemed to go very heavily on saying okay here is a category for best whatever it is this film did this this film did this this film did this it was less it was far less cringy than usual i mean i i speak as somebody i bring this up all the time i speak as somebody who presented the the bafta for BAFTA, best foreign language well, yeah, from, yeah. from years and years ago we've all they, heard this <laughs> no no i know but what i'm saying is that they do give you like a cookie cutter script right and yeah. you have to go excuse me do you mind if i write rewrite this so it actually says to me now i understand there's a difference between presenting a bafta that doesn't go out and presenting an oscar but i did feel this time that some of the, the introductions you actually did think oh that's interesting i didn't know that oh, that's good you know well done fine so look let's let's move fairly swiftly through the through the ceremony which which itself was fairly swift so we started off with regina king who straight away was uh sort of setting the tone of the evening her opening monologue was engaging also fairly serious she said as a mother of a black son and you know referred to the the recent verdict and this did put everything in in the context of look this is happening in the middle of not just a uh, you know a pandemic but also a a crisis in america and, and and the wider world i thought i thought she handled that very well did you yeah i thought it was great um and I think the whole tone of the evening for the first sort of potentially two and a half hours was fairly serious. And it felt like they like made a choice to be like, no, we are doing an earnest and very kind of um, uh, not, I don't want to say like serious, like fully, fully serious, but it certainly wasn't going like jokes, jokes, jokes all the time. It wasn't trying to keep you entertained. It certainly was being very like patient with everything. It Although was doing. the great irony of it, Jack, is that I was more entertained than I am usually, you know? Right. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> I find it all much, much more interesting. So onto the first award, original screenplay. And I think that, I mean, it, it was no surprise. I think that Emerald Fennell won for a promising young woman. Um, she did. Her acceptance speech was a bit of an Olivia, although there was, <laughs> The, the, I think there was a better Olivia Colman coming up later in the show, yeah, to be the, honest. There was. This was, I think, the the sort of dead cert award for Promising Young Woman, which kind of, you know, built a, built up a head of steam of these, has proved very divisive. You know, some people really love it. Some people really, really took against it. Um, and I thought that the, her winning for uh, for best screenplay was a good start to the evening, a, you know, a deserved win because it it, it is a, whether you like the film or not. And as I said, people are very divided on it. I I'm broadly positive about it. It is a film that is built from its screenplay, and that did seem to me like okay, fine, it's well done. We're off to a good start. That's a that's a val- that's a valid win. She's very posh, isn't she? She's so posh. Well, she's Camilla um, Parker Bowles in The Crown. <laughs> no, she is. I mean, she is. I know, I know, I know, I know. She's so posh. Um, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm pleased that it won. I was really pleased for her. Um, I am more on the other side of Promising Young Woman to you. I'm I'm sort of broadly a little bit more sort of... I, I didn't take against it, but it didn't particularly grab me. Um but I do think that the ideas that it's exploring and the themes at the heart of it are really important. And this may be a bit dismissive, but I was just watching it and feeling like, well, this just isn't as good as um, I May Destroy You, which is exploring very yeah, similar although, themes. Although, Jack, if I may, if I may just say Please. this, 
almost nothing is as good yes. as I may destroy you. Of course, and, and that and, is absolutely true. And, and I think that is that is, and I I agree with you. In I think I may destroy you is in in like a galaxy of its own in terms of the way in which it negotiates the shifts in tone around a very very difficult issue, and. And it's kind of like going, well, it's not Citizen Kane. And the, yeah. thing, was, the thing about Citizen Kane now is... Now Mank has now got more Oscars than Citizen Kane. <laughs> oh, God, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, okay, right, plot spoiler, because that's coming up ahead. Um, but, yeah, there was... I mean, I like the fact that it's proved as divisive as it has. Um, I think, you know, that is absolutely in the writing. But I do, It feels but, a little bit like a trend in the Oscars these days, like when Get Out won for Best Original Screenplay as well. It's like they give the the Oscar to the one that seems to be exploring something that's thematically very, very relevant yeah, but to also, the year yeah, but that it's also been nominated. Get, Get Out was a brilliantly written script, but I do agree with you about uh, I May Destroy You because nothing, I, I struggle to think of anything that is as good as that. Then adapted screenplay... Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller for The Father. And this was the first sort of, you know, bum note of the evening for me because obviously this all comes down to personal choice. I wouldn't have given that award to The Father. I would have given it to Kemp Powers for One Night in Miami. I mean, The Father may be adapted, but it still feels very, very stagey. Although there was quite a nice moment when uh, Florian Zeller referred to his wife, who was off camera wherever he was, and then she came on camera. That was wonderful. That was sweet. That was sweet. It was those little moments at the start of the show that made it feel a little bit more, I don't know, personal. It was just like they just let some of those things run off. They didn't play anybody off, which I really liked. Yes. They, it was It was so nice. It was so respectful and just let everybody have their moment, however it went, and then they just kicked in some cool ocean-style music. And Jack, we should say that not only did they not play anyone off, they had a DJ rather than an orchestra. And that was actually... I thought that worked really well. I, so I mean, I, I. You know, it was like... Funny. I want the Oscars playlist that you put together. Yeah, yeah. That, I thought that worked rather well. Okay, so then almost immediately we're into, you know, a biggie, which is uh, International Feature, which was presented by Laura Dern, who seemed... Now, I don't know anything about fashion, but it looked to me like Laura Dern had stepped on a very large swan. Um, and <laughs> you know, there was that kind of... That black top with this sort of explosion of feathers below... She's and Laura the, Dern. She can do whatever she wants. She can do exactly... She, she can do whatever she wants but so international feature went to uh, another round for denmark and i thought that thomas vinterberg who if you haven't listened to his interview with oh, me wow, on, yeah. on film please please do because it's he's he speaks so eloquently as he, he always does but it was particularly moving because he talked about the film which is basically a film about you know a bunch of guys experimenting with with drunkenness and he talks about it being uh, a film about letting uh, letting go of control of life. And he talked about his own loss of control of his life. He made an incredibly moving speech in which he referred very specifically, and I thought very bravely and uh, very uh, you know um, movingly about his daughter who he lost, and that was so central to the film. I I, I was I thought that speech was really remarkable and a real so highlight of the evening for me. Okay, so. We wanted to make a film that celebrates life. And um, four days into shooting, the impossible happened. Uh, An accident on a highway took my daughter away. Someone looking into a cell phone. And um, we miss her and I love her. And, um, sorry. Two months before we shot this movie and two months before she died, she was in Africa 
She sent me a letter and she just read the script and she was glowing with excitement. She loved this and she felt seen by this and uh, she was supposed to be in this. And if anyone dares to believe that she's here with us somehow, she, uh, you'll be able to see her clapping, clapping and, and cheering with us. Uh, we ended up making this movie for her as her monument. So Ida, this is a miracle that just happened. And you're a part of this miracle. Maybe you've been pulling some strings somewhere, I don't know, but this one is for you. Thank you very much. I had no idea about that story. Um, and it was, it was very, very touching to see him be that vulnerable yeah. in front of everybody. Um, and the, the tragedy that had happened, happened I think four days into production yeah, he was of the talk- film. Yep, yep, yep. Just, just incredible, and he and he dedicated it to the loss of his well, to to his daughter who he lost. Yeah. Um, and I liked that he said, "Maybe you're pulling some strings and making this happen." <laughs> yeah, I thought that was remarkable. Actually, I, I know you know it's very hard to judge an Oscar. But I thought he, I thought his self control was incredibly impressive. I thought that you could. It's hard to say this. You could feel. That everything he was saying was real and resonating. I have to confess, I had a bit of a, you know, I had a little cry, and not not in a kind of mm. Oscar schmoska way, but I actually thought that what he said was incredibly moving, and I thought it took my be- breath away. Yeah, thank you. That was exactly the phrase I was looking for. That's why your young brain is working so much better than mine. Also, that was an incredibly tough category because he was up against things like uh, Quevedo Saida, which I thought was really terrific, the Bosnia Herzegovina um, uh, entry. So, congratulations to Thomas Vinterberg and a very, very high watermark as far as the speeches were concerned. On then to supporting actor. Now, you and I, I think we were both agreed it was never going any way other than... Yeah, this was like the dead cert of of the (laughs) evening. And I couldn't wait to see Daniel Kaluuya win an Oscar. And he didn't disappoint as well. What a great speech. First of all, as well, when Laura Dern was introducing all the categories, this was the moment, I think, when I felt, oh, the Oscars is doing a different thing this year. Because whenever she, and it's it's my thing about Steven Soderbergh's directing as well, that whenever she was talking about a nominee, she would do a very incredible, she'd do a, a very personal version of an Oscars introduction and she would turn and speak directly to the nominee yeah, if she could, yeah. yes, which I yes. thought was great. And then Soderbergh, <laughs> I don't know if this is him, but <laughs> it feels like him, would just hold on the person rather than on the presenter, would very rarely show who was speaking, but show who was being spoken about. And I think that is like, obviously who we should be looking at. It's their little moment. And I think he made it feel like everybody could potentially win at some point. It was like their time. Yes, except I will say this. She, it was almost as if she gave the award to Daniel Kaluuya before reading out and the winner yeah. is Daniel Kaluuya because it was kind of like, <laughs> although she did exactly the stuff that you're talking about, there was no question that when she was saying Daniel Kaluuya, short of saying who is about to win, she yeah. was saying who is about to win. He then did win. He came up and he was, I mean, I think Daniel Kaluuya is great and it was it's a brilliant performance. I mean, there is something weird about the fact that in that Judas and the Black Messiah effectively had two leading supporting actors. Yeah. That Lakeith Stanfield, I was really worried that was going to split the vote. Well, also, it's just weird and it does tell you something about the, you know, lead actor, supporting actor categories are falling apart. And at some point, you know, we need to think seriously about whether mm-hmm. or not that is any longer a viable way of doing it. Because 
spot. So Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya are both supporting actors in a film which doesn't have a lead actor. In other in other you know ceremonies, it was split because technically. You could say that uh, Lakeith Sanfield is actually the lead actor because yeah, I think I would say that yeah because it it's 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 his character's journey that journey. I'm listen to me talking. So if that's what comes, you stay out watching the Oscars. You say things like the lead character's journey. <laughs> but let's talk very briefly about the first time you and I texted each other, which was that Daniel Kaluuya said, and correct me if I'm wrong. Did I mishear this? He said, "My mum and my dad had sex, yeah. and now I'm here." That is exactly what you said, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've got to just correct you slightly that the uh, the first time we texted was before uh, the Oscars began. Oh, this was at half past half past eleven, and you said the e red carpet coverage is on, and I'm already losing the will to live. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, that's right. I'm sorry, yeah. I forgot that I had texted you that. Lordy, lordy, that was, and it was because it was made weirder this year by the fact that the presenters would just shout over this kind of vast abyss because they couldn't get near to anybody. But yes, but anyway, but Daniel Kaluuya. Then we cut away to his mother and his sister. His sister was in tears. That was really lovely. And his mother, uh, he, his mum, was just like, "What's he saying?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah great speech he had he clearly was flustered but wonderful i saw him he just gave himself a little pep talk at one point <laughs> he was like come on daniel <laughs> so then moving on uh makeup and hair which was presented by don cheadle don cheadle did this thing about saying um you know if you get the makeup and hair wrong the only thing that anyone notices is the makeup and hair if you get the costume wrong the only thing anyone ever notices is the costume and i couldn't help thinking and if you get the english accent wrong nobody notices anything <laughs> the English we accent. haven't forgotten don so it was i mean the it there, there, there was history made here, which was that me and Neil and Jamaica Wilson are the first black women uh, to, nominated and to win in the category of uh, makeup and hair. And uh, they talked about breaking the glass ceiling and about how that glass ceiling hopefully won't exist in the future. So you did feel like things were kind of changing. And uh, so that was a win for Ma Rainey. And then Costume and Roth uh, won for Ma Rainey. I, I think Ma Rainey deserved those awards. I think it was, uh, I think that those were the right choices. You? Again, I think some of the time in this, I, I can't really say because there's some of these movies I still haven't seen. I'm sure there's some people listening to this as well. And I still hold the same frustration that I talked about a few podcasts ago when we were talking about the nominations. You know, uh, this uh, this just some things this year I haven't been able to get round to. It's, well, it's it's a shame I haven't seen Ma Rainey's Black Ma Bottom Rainey yet. Is, Ma Rainey is out there. I think it's is it Netflix that it's on, and it is right, worth okay. it is worth seeing. It is stagey, but it's nothing like as stagey as The Father, and it has terrific performances. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Then we had Brian Cranston doing the Humanitarian Award, um, which he was at the Dolby Theatre because it was the Motion Picture and Television Fund's uh, 100th anniversary. And then on to Bong Joon-ho presenting from Seoul uh, for Best Director. So, you know, fairly early <laughs> Bong in the and his translator, who we've all greatly missed. And also doing that weird thing that the camera was on Bong Joon-ho and then it went to the right to find his translator and then it went to the right and there was another Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. It, was, there was, it was a very Bong Joon-ho. Soderbergh. <laughs> that wasn't Soderbergh. That was Bong Joon-ho. I mean, Soderbergh <laughs> was in a different country, Jack. You can't credit Soderbergh for doing something across the other side of the world. I think I'm absolutely certain that was Bong Joon-ho. I just love that when Emerald Fennell came out on stage and gave a speech and she talked about how she hadn't written anything, she was apologising to Steven Soderbergh and then finished her speech by saying 
I hope that was okay, Stephen. Because all I can imagine <laughs> is that Steven Soderbergh came out into the theatre before it all began and said, listen, everybody, and just directed the room. Yes. Just, that's all I can imagine that he did. <laughs> so, um, again, absolutely no surprise that he went to Chloe Zhao in that little bit of, um, you know, the roundup of each uh, of each nominee beforehand. They quoted that thing that Chloe Zhao always said, you know, in a, in a time of crisis, what you do is you watch Burden of Dreams and you ask yourself, what would Werner Herzog do? Which I think is just, a, a, you know, a great... Uh, a, a lovely mantra. And then when she won, she said, uh, you know, as expected, if you if you know Nomadland, she said, people at birth are inherently good. I have always found goodness in people that I meet anywhere in the world. And I think that is the thing that rings true of Nomadland. Of course, absolutely historic, because only the second yep. time that a, that a woman has uh, won. Incidentally, we should say, whenever we're doing these kind of facts about oh, oldest winner, this, that, and the other, the thing that everyone always worries about in the morning after the Oscars, and I used to hate this, because I used to have to go from th- that to go and do the, the BBC stuff, is that you get these facts wrong. I've already this morning read that the last person to win was um, Catherine Bigelow for uh, Zero Dark Thirty. I've already right. read that in some fairly you know, reputable, as opposed to for The Hurt Locker. But a historic win, a shocking that in the 93rd Oscars, only, only the, second the second time. But the uh, first to accept the award in trainers. Were they trainers? I, well, she looked comfy, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Good for her. And then the bit we were talking about earlier when um, Harrison Ford comes out, when he said her name in the editing awards uh, category, she was like, he said, said my, my name. And she did this little kind of clappy thing. Yes. It was like she was absolutely delighted that Harrison Ford had done that. I thought, you know, again, I thought there was, there was no question. But as we know, yeah. with Oscars, there is no such thing as a certainty because there it's were. It's the one that should have won. Yeah. And I'm glad that she did. Yeah, but you know, it, it it's great, but it is still shocking that in the 93rd Oscars, she is only the second mm-hmm. woman to win Best Director. You know, things move very slowly uh, in the Academy. People at birth are inherently good. And those six letters had such a great impact on me when I was a kid. And I still truly believe them today. Even though sometimes it might seem like the opposite is true, but I have always found goodness in the people I met everywhere I went in the world. So this is for anyone who has the faith and the courage to hold on to the goodness in themselves and to hold on to the goodness in each other, no matter how difficult it is to do that. And this is for you. You inspire me to keep going. Thank you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On then to sound, again, I thought this was an absolute dead cert. Oh, of course, the f- yeah. The fact that it was presented by Riz Ahmed did suggest that they did think that Sound of Metal was going to win. And There was course- a few little things like that in the awards and the way that it was set up that they were expecting little things to happen and they wanted to create certain, I don't know, situations. Yeah. And things like this worked out and then some later that we'll come to did not Yes, and 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 uh, with, at the risk of a plot spoiler, one of them spectacularly did not. Then on to uh, Reese Witherspoon doing an animated feature again. Reese Witherspoon being everybody's mom hosting an awards <laughs> ceremony. I was um, expecting her to be like, and I've made snacks for everyone. <laughs> But I, it, actually, I thought it, one of the things I thought was great was that she did actually seem to love animation, which was really good because you, I mean, I have seen. I mean, she is an animated person come to life. Yeah, absolutely. That's very good. Damn, I wish I'd said that, Jack. I wish <laughs> I'd said that, but no, but you said it. But the only, the, my only. We can edit it if you want and you can just take it. No, they won't. They just leave it in, you know, the young, the young hip gunslinger, you know, and then the old <laughs> fart. Um, my only reservation about Sol, I mean, Sol winning, obviously, was that I do love Wolfwalkers and I kind of, you know, I mean, I, I think there was no question that Sol was going to win, but I do think Wolfwalkers is great. And uh, I just, I love Cartoon Saloon. And, but it was, again, a, you know, very strong category and a very, very popular win. So on then to a documentary, which was presented by Marley Matlin, who looked absolutely fantastic and uh, who won in uh, 87 for Children of a Lesser God. Um, it went to my octopus teacher, and my, my my issue there is, you see, I would have personally, I would have given it to Time or Collective, but as everyone was saying, fine, my octopus teacher was the you know the popular winner, and it was weird because it's like okay, okay, suddenly everyone knows that that's what's going to win. I I think Time and Collective were both really remarkable. I personally would have given it to one of them. You. Uh, again, a category I haven't been able to spend much time on. And I just also want to mention that for anybody listening, this isn't my full-time job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I try and keep up with this sort of stuff. It's more like a very enthusiastic hobby. But especially recently, I've been very busy in my other world of making things as much as I can. So I haven't been able to sort of get around to this sort of stuff. The best thing I, I found, though, about this is that upon it winning 
some brilliant person tweeted a picture of Toby Maguire with Alfred Molina. <laughs> Put my octopus teacher. <laughs> and it wasn't even from Spider-Man 2. Very it was clearly good. like just some Very like good. shot of them together. Like it was so funny just what's to see li- that somebody What's the done line? That. You know, he's, he's called Octavia. He, he ends up with eight legs. What are the, what are the chances? His name's Otto Octavius. A guy with, uh, a guy called Otto Octavius winds up with eight limbs. What are the chances? What are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So something that I know you have seen a million times is Tenet, which which finally wins its first Mwah. award um, for visual effects presented by Stephen Yeun. And, uh, you say Ma- that, and people were tweeting me, congratulating me on my <laughs> award win. <laughs> I mean, I, I did give a lot to that film. But it, again, th- that was, it was kind of what, it, that, of course it was going to win visual effects. If it didn't win visual effects, yeah. it's like, you know, I mean, the fact that uh, Ludwig Göransson wasn't up for best composer was a, I think something that we can talk about, but look, I, I think the Oscars as well, like another blind spot they have, and that they tried in a really weird way to try and fill, is that the bigger movies sometimes don't get a lock in, in the way that the comedies don't get a lock in, and that's a blind spot that I think they have. I think that Tenet is a technical achievement if if you're going to look at it in a very clinical way, so it should, I think, be in for um, visual effects and for cinematography and for production design and for sound and for music and all these things. And I actually think that it should be celebrated more for what it was able to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that but thing about the, that's the, not how they see it. That thing about the big movies being overlooked... And they that's tried to do the popular movie category. But, but, that's, but that's why they expanded the Best Picture category some years ago. I mean, it always used to be five. It was because of suddenly, the Dark Knight. Su- suddenly it was, yeah, because they suddenly realised, you know, oh, it looks like we're missing out on something. And they were terrified by... I mean, one of the things that we did have this year is an Oscars in which many of the winners are smaller movies that haven't been seen around them. I mean, you know, Nomadland hasn't opened here in the UK exactly, yet. And, yeah. the, and I think that is also, like, I think that's more important, but I think there are sometimes, there are moments when I feel like you should be celebrating this one as well. It's when people were, like, really happy that Black Panther got a lot of yeah, nominations. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, Supporting Actress, which was presented by Brad Pitt. And again, I think no question here, it was uh, Yajang Yoon, who, um, which of course Brad Pitt... This was Pitt, the Oliver Coleman of the this, thing for me. Okay, so fine. So so tell me what you thought of that acceptance, beginning with the fact that she corrected his pronunciation, which I thought was, was like, you know... Yeah, I love that. I, and also love that she was like... Mike Wright she was just like she was in the wrong place she just stood in front of her Oscar and was kind of off mic the entire time corrected him uh, and then also said Mr. Brad Pitt finally where have you been like <laughs> because of course Plan B are the producers of uh, of, right. of Minari so you know so it's he, he, he again it's a uh, of course, they might have met beforehand, but no, they didn't. But it was lovely, Mr. Brad Pitt, where have you been? The, my, I, the one thing I would say is, I think that her speech, I mean, again, it was a bit of an Olivia, as you, as you said, but I think it wasn't quite as good as the BAFTA speech when she kind of ruffled everyone's feathers by, yeah. by saying, this is great, I've got this from the, from the Brits and they're such snobs. You know, everyone well, I think she said something simple. She was like, she was like, I don't know how we can pick a winner. We all play different roles, so how is it fair? She was like, I'm just luckier than you. And 
then she said, or maybe it's just American hospitality for the Korean actress. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and then uh, worth bearing in mind that Glenn Close, I think I'm right in saying that that's eight nominations without a win. But then again, Hillbilly Elegy was rubbish. And Glenn Close's performance in, I mean, I love Glenn Close. but I the think fact she of would the be embarrassed is, to win for that yeah, one. Yeah, if she'd won for that, it would be the, it's, it's the Martin Scorsese winning for The Departed, which I know you think is right, but it oh, isn't. Don't. It's just, you know... Of all the performances, of all the brilliant performances that she that, that Glenn Close has done, to have won for the "Give Me an Award, I Am," and I mean, I thought that film was absolute pants. For and people who are listening, that that was a clip. That wasn't Mark doing an impression. <laughs> it was uncanny, wasn't it? It was like she was in the room. Then on to production design, which was presented by uh, Halle Berry. Of course, worth remembering that Halle Berry was, was famously always cited as somebody who suffered from the curse of the Oscars. That she made history when she won her Oscar, and then you know, then there was this kind of string of duds and there people always talk about you know that weird thing about winning an oscar can be great but it, the industry can also react to it really strangely so production design um went to mank and i thought okay fine this is the one that mank is going to get although you know okay because it's got to win something because i think mank is massively overrated it then went on to win cinematography and mm-hmm. i was kind of I mean, you know, yes, everything about Mank is to do with the way it looks. But Sean Bobbitt, surely, for uh, Judas and the Black Messiah? I mean... I I really... I would have picked that as well. I think we spoke about that when we uh, spoke about the nominations. I loved how that camera moved and it felt like old Spielberg stuff and Mm -hmm. it felt like it was doing that very intentionally. With Mank, what I like is that the guy who... Eric uh, Messerschmitt... Uh, who won, he was David Fincher's gaffer on Gone Girl, and he's since been working with him on Mindhunter, which is his brilliant detective Netflix show. Um, He was the DOP on that, um, and then this is the first film that he's done, feature film that he's done for a long, long time. I think he did some before working as uh, on the gaffing team. Uh, But it's so cool just to see the evidence of him working with Fincher in one role and then working up into another one and and then winning an Oscar. I think that, that story, again, like I'm buying into the story. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. These, and I think that's very, very cool to see and how he was genuinely so made up by it and you could see how proud Fincher was as well. I thought I, I really enjoyed that moment. Well, I'd just like to say, Jack, that you've made me feel better about that then. Um, so well done. You've actually, you've just smoothed out a wrinkle in the in the evening for me and thank you. That's I'm uh, glad. Yes, I, I now feel like a more benign and benevolent person than I did about three and, minutes. And the painting of, of, of Mank, I agree with you. I think Mank's overrated. I want to revisit it. I've only seen it the once, but I, I got to see it in the cinema, which I was so excited about. And I was I was the same as you. I was underwhelmed, but I think the painting of the, the light and the way that the camera is very intentionally positioned in a very Fincher way, um, I thought I think it is beautiful and you can't really deny that. Then on to editing, which was Harrison Ford, as we mentioned before, reading the reactions to the Blade Brother screenings. I said, the voiceover is terrible. The film is deadly dull. This movie gets worse with every screening. Yes, and that was my favourite one. And I can't believe that's real. A real is, note from a studio is, is this movie gets worse. Why is this voiceover track so terrible? He sounds drugged. Were they all on drugs? Deckard at the piano is interminable. Flashback dialogue confusing. Is he listening to a tape? Why do we need the third cut to the eggs? 
the synagogue music is awful on the street. We've got to use Vangelis. Up to Zora's death, the movie is deadly dull. This movie gets worse every screening. That movie was called Blade Runner. I mean, of course, this is all kind of, you know, brilliantly covered in, um, in Future Noir, which is the making of Blade Runner book. And then, I'm, if I mentioned this before, I made a documentary about Blade Runner. It's just still available out there. It's called On the Edge of Blade Runner. It begins with me doing the walk into uh, Union Station. Stop me if you've heard this Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh ripping me off. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so for editing... Sound of Metal, hooray! Uh, I yeah. thought that, uh, apparently the Chicago Seven was the favourite, which know. I don't. I, I think I mentioned this before. I don't understand. I I think that the editing and trial of Chicago Seven is decent, but some of that stuff and it, it's kind of a combination of all that. It's I mean actually it's kind of goes to Aaron Sorkin. I think I think I said this that from the top down in terms of how he's directed it it didn't feel like the scenes that were cutting together were supposed to link together the the way that his dialogue cuts across location the way that fincher did that in the social network was masterful and the way that sorkin has done that in his own film feels a little bit like he's made that decision after the fact not that they were ever meant to be cutting together which makes it feel a little bit more can we just can we just all say this sorkin is a great writer he's not a great director Stop it, Sorkin. You're ruining your own work. <laughs> Let me do it, please. <laughs> You're too busy, Jack. You've got a whole bunch of other stuff to do. Okay, <laughs> then on through uh, another humanitarian award presented by Viola Davis to Tyler Perry, and then Best Score. Now, Best Score went to Reznor Ross and Batiste for Soul, and obviously, if you read back about this, about the number of times there have been three nominated, it's, it's fairly rare. I, I, I absolutely thought that Soul would win. I wanted it to be Emil Mosseri for Minari, which I thought was great, although I also loved Terence Blanchard's score for The Five Bloods. But I think both you and I thought that Ludwig Göransson's absence from the nominees. Yeah, your, your your face. I won't I'm... bore everybody with it again. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> so what's one of the most original scores I've heard in a long time. So how do you feel about Soul winning? I thought it was. You oh, know, I love it. It was. It was yeah. yeah, Trent Reznor and Chris Ross are amazing. Anyway, John Batiste together, wonderful. And of course, they were, they were competing against themselves, weren't they? Because yeah. they were also nominated for Mank. So, and as you mentioned before, that can often split the vote. Being nominated mm-hmm. twice actually makes you half as likely to win, not twice as likely. And I thought, you know, that's it. It, it's, it was a good call. Although I do think that Emil Mosseri's score for uh, Minari was just wonderful. And I, you know, I kind of almost thought that it might, I might tip it. I can't, I can't remember when you and I were doing this before. I can't actually remember what our predictions were, but I think I might have said that Emil Mosseri was going to win. So I will have absolutely nixed him. Although it was clear. I mean, Sol was so far out ahead in yeah. terms of all the, all the bookies' favourites. Then Best Song... Uh, fight for you from Judas and the Black Messiah. My only reservation here would be that it's often the case now that best song is something that you know comes over the end titles rather than being kind of an intrinsic part of the drama itself. I think it's a great song, but it is a weird. It's almost it's almost become like a like like a titles category. Um, but yeah, again, and also if there's not a Bond song in there, like usually it's like. Like a song for a film these days is is kind of a little bit of an old fashioned idea. Like some yeah. of these don't really feel like they you know, or unless it's a Pixar one that 
you know, has a song in the middle of it or something like that. Yeah, and, the, and I mean, you know, Diane Warren up for Yo C, which is her umpteenth nomination. Personally, uh, you know. It, it, I would have loved to have seen a story of Fire Saga win, but actually for Yaya Ding Dong, not because I mean Yaya Ding. I'm sorry, but let, let's be honest about this. Yaya Ding Dong was the best original song in a movie last year, and, and whatever you say, it, it's, it's a it's a total earworm. It's not going anywhere. So then there was the music quiz and there this was the moment oh, again when you yeah, and I were texting each other. I thought I thought that was that was the moment when everything fell apart. It was it was it went it went a bit awry, didn't it? Like I was already like, come on, it's nearly four AM. I know that Glenn Close shaking her ass is funny. But Not that come funny. On. I, I'm tired now. You're not really being. You're not thinking about me and how I have to be up and talking to Mark Kermode in four hours. <laughs> it was. It was a weird one, wasn't it? Because I said, "Okay, this is falling apart," and then you texted me. You went, "No, but Glenn Close," and then immediately we took it. Yeah, but no. Yeah. It was, and and at that point it was starting to feel okay. Now this is getting baggy. Like, now this is. They, getting- this is. What I mean, they'd done two and a half hours of quite earnest, serious award giving and, and and celebrating the people who make movies and then all of a sudden out of nowhere two and a half hours in they decide to do a comedy bit where they're going to get everybody involved i was like this just feels tonally completely different to everything else you've been doing it felt to me like they were just biding their time while they were setting something up in the background but you think yeah, what they can't have been because it was there wasn't nothing it, happened no nothing happened it wasn't like you know suddenly an elephant walked into the room or something it was just it was just <laughs> a weird bit that just didn't quite work and it was like yeah I'm not quite sure how how pre-planned these gags are, but they're not landing. And I, that was a moment when I suddenly thought, oh, yeah, this is what it usually feels like at this point in the Oscars. It's like, uh, then we had In Memoriam, which I thought was very moving. I mean, I, I confess that because it's this has been such a strange year. I mean, mm. I have, they, obviously the, the image that they used of Max von Sudoff was as... Um, Father Merrin in The Exorcist, Linda Manns. I mean, just an extraordinary... I mean that in memoriam thing is always difficult, but I thought it, you know, it, 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 there were a couple of things there that that, that that caught me off guard. And then I thought, well, I, well on the in memoriam as well too, it, it skipped along, which I thought was kind of funny. Some faster but, than others. They like were really really quick like, this year. Yeah. Um, I think I saw Chris Miller of Phil Lord and Chris Miller tweeting something about how they left it on 1.5 speed by mistake. Um, that was but kind I liked, of what it, yeah. <clears throat> I did like that instead of making it you know a sad song or somebody coming you know usually they have somebody come out and perform something they made it quite an uplifting yes sort of like a, a we are grateful for all you have done yeah. type feeling rather than a oh we're really sad you're gone it's more like a celebration of their life again it felt like it had that more sort of positive twist on something yeah again it's one of those things it's very possible to get wrong and it didn't feel like that had happened what no. then was weird was that the next award up was Best Picture, which is traditionally the award yeah. which kind of finishes the ceremony. And Best Picture, we all knew there was no question it was going to be no. I think uh, this is. No I think land. this is why it was structured this way. Okay. I think because usually the Oscars, at least for the last five or six years, kind of think. I think since uh, we all thought Boyhood was going to win, then it went to Birdman. I think the Oscars has already has always gone the other way since then. And even last year, you know, everyone was thinking it was going to be. 
I can't remember what it was, but everyone was hoping, obviously, that Parasite would get it, but in no world did people think it was actually going to happen. And this year it was like, I think it's just going to be Nomadland. I think it's just going to be that. And I think maybe they knew that. And then the plan was to hopefully end on a celebration of Chadwick Boseman. But and then, that of course, isn't that, the way it went. That didn't happen. So, look, um, again, you know, Nomadland... Uh, you know, a, a, a historic wins, frankly. Uh, mm. Francis McDormand imploring everybody to see the films on the big screen, then doing the wolf call, which was actually yeah. very funny. But I yeah. think it was it She's was good crazy. that somebody said, look, you know, even if you've seen these films on streaming, when they yeah. get into cinemas, go and see them in cinemas. It was great to hear that. Um, but it was weird to have it before, Best Actress and Best Actor. Best Actress then, uh, presented by Renee Zellweger, um, went to, and I was wrong, it went to Francis McDormand, and I was, I mean, I I had Who did you feeling, think it was going to be? Well, the bookies were all going for Kerry Mulligan. Right. Um, and there would have been a kind of feeling of, particularly after the Kerry Mulligan, after the first review of Promising Young Woman, which had appeared in Variety, which had been very, very snotty and frankly wrong about Kerry Mulligan's performance. Variety subsequently apologised for that review mm-hmm. amidst a whole kind of flurry about whether or not what had been written um, was sexist. Um, I just think it was just stupid, actually. And there would have been something very appropriate about revenge being a dish served cold however i thought there was a possibility that viola davis was going to win because she is so titanically good in um uh, ma rainey's black bottom but let's be honest who is only a grump would complain about francis mcdormand winning for nomad land three acting wins now for fargo for three billboards and nomad land catherine hepburn had four didn't she magnificent performances in all three of them yeah yeah, career-defining I mean, yeah, roles just does not put a foot wrong. Not and, at all. She's fantastic, and I'm really, really glad that she did win. And it was but, also it was quite funny because like she'd been up for Best Picture because obviously she was nominated for Best Picture because she's one of the producers of Nomadland. So she was up, and then she was down, and then she was back up again. It was like you know, just she's just I'll just stay here. I'll and just, you just got here. Joel Cohen next to her, just <laughs> being like, yeah, this yeah. is just standard affair yeah. now. <laughs> Joel Cohen going, where we got room. This for was the-, the most open category, though. I thought yes, it was could really- have gone in any any direction um but yeah i'm really really pleased that francis mcdormand won i thought if i were going to pick i think that she should i think she should have won yeah i mean i i i I have no trouble with it when i i have no trouble with that being the win i just it was one i just had it in my head that it was going to go to carrie morgan or viola davis and the and the more the evening went on the more i thought it's going to be viola davis it's going to be viola davis i was kind of slightly surprised but hey you know it was such a it was such a good category that absolutely you know a a, a well-deserved win which then brings us to the kind of wet squib of the evening which is best actor and i absolutely thought okay here's the here's the the battle here it's between chadwick boseman and riz ahmed riz ahmed gave in my opinion the best performance of the year i would have given it to riz ahmed as well i thought i would have loved to have seen that happen but there was a general feeling that chadwick boseman was i mean absolutely brilliant in my rainy's black bottom and uh, I think he did the film when he had. Did he have stage four cancer yeah, when he yeah, was doing and, it? And and something about which nobody knew because watching that performance, you would have absolutely no idea. And it felt like this was the moment to cap the ceremony with Chadwick Boseman winning. Um, and the problem is, 
that what actually happened was that Sir Anthony Hopkins won for, and I'll say this about the father, you know, um, I think the father is overrated. I think it's very, I mean, it's, you know, if you want to see a great film about Alzheimer's, watch Relic. Um, it's we've we've had a lot of this recently, and I I personally I I thought that was the what really oh okay you know and of course he wasn't there, and I think that's the I think that's the thing about it is that it's interesting that they chose to end it on <clears throat> actor in a leading role, and I think that the story they had in mind of of the show of the Oscars was that it was going to end on this celebration of this man's life, and not be like oh it's the you know it's Nomadland the film that we all knew was going to win as one it's more you know we're ending on this thing this is what we're choosing to focus our attention on but instead it went to Anthony Hopkins who was so sure himself that they're not going to give it to me because why would they I don't need this <laughs> he didn't even turn up and he wasn't even there in any because everybody across the world were, were had these there's also something we haven't mentioned is everything was filmed in widescreen. Like everything was like had that cinematic look to it, which I thought was a really cool way of presenting a show about films was to make it film really filmic. And even when we went to other places in the like in London, when they were in the BFI and, and all these other places, like one showed Sweden, everybody had these like, nobody was like, Oh, I'm on zoom in my room. It was all like really <laughs> nicely laid out and set up and really well thought about. But Anthony Hopkins was so sure clearly that he was he didn't need to be involved in this that he could just step bow this one out but he went on to win and finish the 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 evening finished with him winning and i just think it's a bit of a it's a shame really for the show to have done that because it clearly thought it was going to end a certain way and it went another I mean, history made that, you know, he's the, I believe, the oldest ever recipient of the award uh, at he 83. Is. And, I, he, you know, he is a, a brilliant actor. I don't... Th- no one's disputing that. It just, it just didn't need to be but, this, did but it? Here's a bit, it, it was, I think you're right about this. The, the, the misstep was that it felt like the whole ceremony had assumed that it was going to be Chadwick Boseman or Riz Ahmed. And part of me kind of thinks... It's like, again, it's the splitting the vote thing, isn't it? Yeah. When you've got two things that it's going to be one or the other, it actually ends up being the third thing. That's quite often what happens with the best picture, is that it's a split vote that allows the kind of, you and know, you the middle book. of the road choice to, to, to go through. And I d- did feel to me like it was, it, it was a, oh, you know, oh. Yeah. There's a picture. And they, of, and they breezed, they did it so quickly as well. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was... It felt like, it felt like the whole ceremony had thought that it was going somewhere else. Yes, and then it didn't. So, all right, Jack. So, overall, I mean, you know, there are, there's a, there are a few missteps in there, but and then, you know, and I'll let, let me do the usual thing that obviously the Oscars quite often get things completely wrong. I mean, you know, they're my favourite films of the year: Saint Maud, not there, and uh, you know, Relic, and not there, and things like that. Tenet. <laughs> Tenet, yeah, but overall. <laughs> Overall, I thought it was it was much better than it could have been, and frankly, yeah. much better than many Oscar ceremonies that I have slept through. Yeah, I I think that this is a a, re, a good reinvention of the Oscars, and I thought that it was nice that they did away with some of the traditions. It was clear that they were trying to tell a story about the human beings that choose to make movies with their time and a celebration of them in a year where we felt their absence and i think it wanted the conclusion to that story to be one thing 
and it turned out to be another. And they can't help that, but you can see what they were trying to do. And I have to sort of admire that. So overall, if next year goes back to something normal, do you think there is stuff that they can take from this? Because I have to say, I did think watching this, you know, you could. there are lessons here that you could carry into whatever the you know whatever normal is next year one of them is three and a half hours is about as long as you want it to be the other one is just just rein it in guys you know i mean actually it was it was an example of um you know needs must they had to make it a different ceremony and it was better for it yeah big fan of this i don't think it needs a host get rid of all the weird little comedy bits what are you trying to do that's so weird to watch and you can just tell that these people don't know each other very well. It, you know, it's just very strange. But yeah, I mostly just enjoyed this ceremony a lot more. God bless Steven Soderbergh. Okay, so overall, Jack, we're kind of broadly positive. I'm going to ask you to finish off by um, the moment of the evening. Uh, what was your f- what was your favourite moment of the of the whole Oscars shebang this year? Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind. I mean, other than saying mr brad pitt where have you been (laughs) that was pretty great i love that but genuinely i love that opening shot and like just the establishment of like we're doing opening credits this feels like a movie i thought that that was great but just overall the tone of it the fact that it was a celebration of the people that make this stuff and a genuine celebration of that that's what i really loved yeah yeah i think that's that's great i mean i for me i thought that the the kind of the, the the standout moment of the evening was again that thing about oh okay we're going to this is how we're going to do this we're going to do and i thought that actually at the risk of just simply repeating what you've just said there is that thing about i was thinking before union station that's a weird choice and then you go oh no actually that's a really good choice that because that walk that opening is a really really good choice and and i just love the fact that uh, steven soderbergh ripped me off so <laughs> Always very good. Well, listen, Jack. Thanks ever so much. You're going to go to bed now. You're going to just stay up. I think. I think we're too. I'm too far in now. I'm just going to like get through the rest of the day and and sort of have a big night's sleep tonight because I, I'm going to operate weirdly on four hours sleep. How are you feeling? I feel fine. I mean, I'm old, so I don't really sleep very much anymore. Um, I love the fact that you know, if you're a Patreon viewer, you go to our Patreon page. We've got loads of stuff there. One of the things you can see is that Jack is literally two inches from the bed in which he slept, yeah. and um, I was late to this meeting. But, but yeah, I no, tried to stay in it as long as possible. As uh, you know, as sixty looms near, you re- it's weird. As you get older, you sleep less. I I don't know why that's the case, but it's just. I suppose it's because your body's done all the stuff it's going to do. So it's finished growing, and you know, bits of you know, I've I've gone so bored over lockdown so i don't really need much really yeah yeah i mean look look again that's a patreon treat it's all it's all it's all in the quiff though this is all smoke and mirrors whereas i've gone the opposite my hair is the longest it's been since i was about 17 you've turned into thomas schaffernacker that's the that's the look that you're rocking so anyway look (laughs) jacket this was fun um and that's not something i usually say about the oscars so uh thanks ever so much if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast please remember all the usual stuff tell your friends remember to subscribe check out our patreon page and um if during the course of this slightly kind of over caffeinated discussion that we've had we made any factual errors it's because hey We've been up all night. All right. Thank you. (laughs) What's your excuse? Keep watching the skies. (laughs) 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.